back at it after a week off. Holiday week took our took our break, got our tummies full, re-energized. But now we back at it with a lot of energy. We're gonna run one here, and we're gonna run one tomorrow too. We doing two sessions this week, but uh, we'll get back. We'll get. I'll give you more about uh, the the second session Wednesday uh, at the end of the show. But today we're back at it with a traditional running with war session. We got our four corners offense here. Uh, with complete with uh, Gabe down there in the box. We got uh, Drew on the high post and out on the wing. We got uh, our man hitting down, hitting those shots for us whenever we need them. Mr. Josh Hicks. What's going on, fellas? What's up, man? What's happening? What's happening? Yeah. Let's uh, let's get let's not waste no time. You know, I got a I got a good um, array of subjects to get us into uh, a little college stuff as well as pro stuff. But uh, I always have something that I I either forget to put on the rundown or I just you know it, or so it comes later. I kind of forgot this when I was I, I saw something about it a little earlier. But I think it's a nice little tip off uh, subject for for this show. Uh, given that the Knicks are in action tonight, uh, actually in action currently against the Nets, uh, a lot is you know a lot has changed from the first couple weeks. Uh, it's no longer bing bonging uh, like they want with the with the Knicks, and uh, you know, and, and it's interesting too because they're going to be uh, against going against the Bulls again Thursday. We'll we'll do our uh, traditional Bulls checkup in a minute as well, but you know, I want to start just with this. This quick rumor that's uh, surfaced, and I think uh, you may be a good help with this, Gabe, given your Houston connections. But, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about John Wall wanting to get back in the court for that Houston team down there. And, um, you know, it, it, it seems like he's bound to get traded. You know, that's the reason why he sat in the first place, because he was he was pretty much looking to get traded and the team was looking to trade him. It was sort of a mutual agreement thing, but now it's sort of a – I guess he's getting a little restless or whatever, and uh, you know uh, he wants to get on the court in some fashion. But uh, Houston still, I guess, doesn't want him. But uh, some talk has emerged about him possibly being traded to those Knicks, who are in you know in need of some additional guard play because they've uh, sat Ken Kemba Walker on the bench, and uh, the you know acquiring the the Bronx native hasn't really helped them out in the way that they like so. You know, just uh, start off with that—a a nice little juicy rumor uh, floating around the league. There, of course, with the, with the Knicks, who always get some attention one way or another. Uh, what, what y'all think about that rumor in in of itself and uh, the possibility? It's a it's a deal that I could see definitely happening. No reason, f- no. I don't know if it's a re- reason not to. Maybe one of y'all got reasons for it not to happen. But what, what do y'all think about it? It makes a lot of sense. I can tell you that. Um, I've always saw the Knicks being a landing spot in the conference for a guy like John Wall, dating back to you know the first round of the playoffs when they got knocked out by Atlanta in five. Um, one of the reasons why is, as you alluded to, Cal, you know, they do need some help at the guard spot. You know, Derrick Rose, you can make an argument is 
valuable as Julius Randle has been to that core group and unit under Tibbs thus far in his second year um, under the helm, that Derek has been their best player. And at times, you know, when matter of fact, when Derek is out of games, that offense sink and is not in rhythm. And you know, granted, Emmanuel quickly his solid off the bench. You know, as a contributor played a big part in their win uh, last week against the Lakers. You know, when the Lakers came back from 20, helping them get settled down and whatnot, late hitting some big shots. But John Wall can bring so much more to that group. One thing I do know that John has worked on extensively, you know, dating the two years when he was dealing with, you know, the knee injury and then the Achilles tear. He's worked extensively on his jump shot. He's a guy that is very hungry and adamant to get back out onto the court. I think Houston appreciates him from a leadership perspective, but – you know, you look at John Wall's career, even though he's getting paid, I'm pretty sure he would love to be on a team that has playoff aspirations and is not seeking, you know, to just develop their young guys and their core, which is what Houston's trying to do under Rafael Stone with the likes of Jalen Green, Kevin Porter, you know, Alperen Sengun, among a host of other young crop of talent that they have over there, Kenyon Martin Jr. and so forth. So I, I can see why they're seeking to talk about things and I can understand why he would want to get back on the court for one is to, is to increase his value and teams want him to take a pay cut that he's not willing to take. But if it's any team that I can see taking on an expensive, you know, contract such as his right now, it is the Knicks. Another team I think will make sense is the LA Clippers, but with the payroll that they already have and being, you know, um, strapped for cash, if you will, especially with, with PG's deal and so forth. I can see the Knicks being probably the most suitable destination and definitely the most suitable one out east. Yeah, I was going to ask you if there were any other teams you you think may be in play for for Wall in the in the coming weeks. But uh, you know, you you mentioned Clippers. Any any other ones that you could possibly see uh, inquiring about them? Maybe. Um, not at this time because it, it's so it's so many others. I mean, you you never know. Um, I know Miami was a destination for many years, but once they, you know, decided to give Kyle Lowry, you know, a big payday and take care of PJ Tucker, I just don't see how they can make it work from a financial standpoint. But when I look at the Knicks, that's a destination that I always saw because I always felt like this offseason they were gonna try and get them a guard, um, you know, around their bench or what have you, or someone that could come in and start to take the pressure off of Derek and so forth like that, who at this stage in his career, as great as he is, his body just isn't the same. And it's some nights where he's going to have to sit down. He's going to have to miss games. And they're going to need a guy like John Wall and lead that offense, get them into their sets, as well as, you know, get other guys set for easy bucks. He'll make Julius Randle's life a lot easier. It's interesting that you brought up the, the Clippers because I think that – they might be in more need for his services than the Knicks. Um, I know they got Bledsoe running point or maybe de facto point guard because it seems like without having watched them extensively, Paul George is probably the one that's got the ball in his hands most often creating shots for himself and others. But I think that Wall to the Clippers would make more sense in that regard as well as um, the fact that Tibbs has decided to go with Burks over quickly, over rolls. So it got some more guys kind of in his stead um, to kind of handle those those duties uh, with Kimball Walker being relegated to the bench. So I, I really like that Clippers ideas you got. I really do. I, even more so than the Knicks. That's the best fit in my opinion. 
Yeah. It's the best. I just don't know if they can make it work from a financial standpoint. I, I really don't. But if they can, if he if, if he was willing to sacrifice money, which I doubt that he's going to do, I, I would love to see him on the Clippers. I feel like he's been a glaring um, need for them ever. You know, the Western Conference Finals exit last year to Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's talk. We'll talk a little bit about the West, uh, sort of in the in the broad sense uh, when we get to the the big game tonight, previewing that. Uh, sons and and uh, and warriors, but uh, I want to get back to the Knicks. Like, you know, I'm looking at the standings right now. Uh, they're still over 500. They're uh, 11 and nine, but uh, no, they fell. They they fallen. You know, back to earth in quite a quite a bit from like say the first couple weeks. You know, the the East is is tight competitively. And what you had in the first couple of weeks was teams that were a little that were competing that we've been used to seeing competing that were a little shaky. Probably pr- most prominent among them being the Bucks, but they they're starting to stabilize now. Uh, the Nets are stabilized. They they were never really behind anybody. The Nets, but they've stabilized and they're atop the conference right now. Uh, you no, know, the Bulls are still playing good. They're in same place right now. The Heat, of course, been playing well, and the Wizards have stayed up as well. Uh, but the Knicks are in seventh place right now, and there's a bunch of teams that are like a game behind them. It's you know not really looking too hard at the playoff picture right now, but they're not playing the type of ball that they want to play. It's pretty obvious when you look at them. You know, Josh, I give you this one, man. What, what do you think about that team overall? You know, regardless of them getting Wall or not, and what type of you know uh, trajectory are they on? They're on a stagnation uh, trajectory to me from last year um, because any Tom Thibodeau team that you have when you we talk about his history, he's not an offensive coach; he's a defensive coach. That's all he emphasizes on. So when you focus on a defensive end, um, yeah, you can play hard defensively, stay in games, and win about half your games, and still make it to the playoffs, but at the end of the day, you need top-tier talent to go along with that, which is what the Knicks just don't have at a, from a full roster perspective. Um, got, we talked about earlier about how D. Rose is – even though D. Rose is Derrick Rose, he's arguably been their best player, but he can't keep that up for a whole 82-game season, and on top of that, the playoffs. Um, and you talk about bringing John Wall in. John Wall will be ideal, uh, I think, for the Knicks, especially when you talk about – um, he's his, his still his quickness that he can bring offensively and getting guys set up and open, and especially when you're talking about maybe him having to run the point guard, be more of a point guard with quickly in the background and in, in, in the backcourt as the two guard. I think that could be really dynamic for that roster as well. But obviously, finances have to work that situation out. And at the same time, I also wonder if Kemba Walker even wants to go to Houston, considering the fact that he left Oklahoma City. Um, which is a rebuild situation, and Houston's in a rebuild right now. Um, so I don't. So you have to wonder if he wants to stay in that, be in that type of situation for at least a year. But that the Knicks are stagnant. They don't. They don't have the point guard that they want. It's not working out with Kemba Walker. They don't have any other. They they gotten offensive pieces, but it's not like the offensive pieces are so are going to take them to that next level. It only just improves their chances of maybe going further than what they did last year if they were to even make the playoffs at, at the position that they did because the East has gotten a lot better, including them. But overall, the East is, is a whole different beast now. So I don't know how far they'll go, 
However, wherever they do go, it's not going to be enough to maybe get them past what they did last year. Yeah, I definitely see that. I definitely see that. I, they, I, they're, they're in that playing uh, slot already, that top playing spot slot. So that may be their, their ceiling, at least for the regular season, unless they do something drastic to their roster. So, uh, you know, it's it, we'll have to see how they develop. But definitely, I think the point – the point of you know them being a tips team, you know, I, it's, that's something that I looked at at the beginning of the season. Is like with with tips teams, you get that great effort even in games that you know other teams may not give so great an effort, you know, which is like at least a third of the regular season. But you know, tips tips teams always give you more than than you expect, but they burn out too. So you know, this this is this sort of reaching that burnout point and they don't have, you know, maybe it'd be different if they had D Rose from 10 years ago, but they don't. So, you know, they they need some reinforcements. They miss like a, a a headliner. Yeah. Ease even more of that pressure off of Julius Randle and some of that burden off of Derrick Rose, but who it is and when that, when that person will come, I don't know. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, Drew. Yeah. About them missing a headline. That's very true. Yeah, it, it definitely is, and you. Can, I, I would even make. I would think I would even want to make an argument that because Tibbs had a spoiled, had a prime D Rose, he doesn't know how to even put an office together without in general. Because even in Chicago, the whole office was Derrick Rose um, in the prime, even with Jimmy Butler there. Derrick Rose was the main guy for Tibbs. So, can you argue and make a fact that offensively, you know his his you can actually run an offense without a superstar, mega superstar role like that. You really can. Yeah. You're right about that because Rose has been everywhere he's coached. Like even Minnesota, I can go back two years ago, my first year covering the Rockets. I'll never forget the first round series. There were so many times when that offense looked very stagnant, when Butler was trying to play de facto point guard and when Rose would come in and lead that second unit, they looked a lot better as a group. And he has always been at every single stop. But I, I think it's a bad look anytime you have a guy like Rose at this stage of his career as a six-man is your best player. It's just it's just hard to win like that. It, it, it's tough to win like that. It's one thing if you're the Clippers and you got a Lou Will with some talented role pieces beside him, like a Gallinari and stuff like that. But with this team, they just don't – they don't have those pieces. Yeah, it'd be um, interesting to see. I don't think it'll happen because I don't know if they have the pieces that would necessarily interest the Blazers. But I wonder what Dame Litter would look like in a in a Knicks jersey and how that team would operate um, with him running point. I think he'd look pretty sad if he was in a Knicks jersey. <laughs> <laughs> he'd be proud of a lot if he was in a Knicks jersey. I'm gonna get that because I think that can actually happen. Okay, mm-hmm. and Dame would be what 31 by that time, 32. It makes it makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense for for the Knicks to get him while he's starting to get over the hill. But even 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 if that option were to come into play, how does that play in the role with what Brooklyn has? Because you even though yeah, you got KD for the long term because he signed his extension, but Kyrie Irving, we don't know what's going to happen with him. And James Harden has came out and said, "I'm kind of open to testing free agency because I've never done this before." He's not fully sold and staying in Brooklyn. Like Brooklyn wants them to. 
So if those two leave, then it's just KD, and then you go across, you know, across the tracks, and you got in Manhattan D Lil there with what with, with what they're building over there. I, you wonder if the shift of you know the shift of, of success per se that Brooklyn was getting this within this era is going to shift. And I, I think it'll be very, very interesting, especially we talking about a crosstown rivalry like the plan right now. Yeah, it's a, it's a interesting dynamic, definitely between the Knicks and Brooklyn, and they're tied right now. Like a, like Josh said, they're playing pretty close game right now in, uh, in Brooklyn. So, yeah, we'll see how that play, how the rest of that game plays out today. Before, we, before I move on, I want to uh, touch on to Kemba, like. I, I, is he reaching a crisis point in his career now? Like, is he reaching the point where he's, you know, going to be, you know, uh, you know, just like really riding benches now and really not be much of a factor? You know, didn't work in Boston, not working in New York. Is, you know, what what do we make of him right now? He's at the crossroads, in my opinion. Kimball Walker's at the crossroads. I think it did work in Boston. I think his first year was great. I just think what happened was he came into All-Star Weekend here in Chicago with a banged-up knee. He tried to play through it. And as a result, you know, he damaged his knee even worse. And while the pandemic, you know, came about and it gave him some time to rest and recover, his knee has just never been the same since. And then, you know, after going down to the bubble, and for you know, opting not to do the surgery at that point, he wanted to keep playing because he knew that the Celtics were among the top teams in the East. You know, albeit he leads into the Eastern Conference final, like he had to get surgery on it. And I think ever since then, you know, especially when you're a little guard like he is, and you start having knee injuries like that, um, it, it's 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 bad. It, it's hard to recover and bounce back from that. And I think as a byproduct of his knees kind of being shot and his explosiveness kind of not being the same as it once was, it's going to be hard to see that all-star Kimba that we once had when he was in Charlotte and that all-star version of Kimba that you got during the first half of the season when he was in his first year with Boston. So it's really unfortunate. I I think if he can recover to at least be a a quality six man, that would be a a great story for his career. But if not, he's going to be in some tough territory. Anytime you have to restructure contracts, and like you were talking about earlier, um, Josh, about how he wouldn't want to go to Houston, let's say he did get traded to Houston, I'm pretty sure knowing Rafael Stone and the way those guys like to operate, they likely would buy him out of his deal and, and give him the opportunity to, to walk away and, and pursue, you know, being on a contender off the buyout market. But, man, it, it don't look good for Kimball right now, just in general. Anytime coaches are pulling you out the rotation – that's a that's a troubling sign. Yeah, especially Tibbs, who loves veterans. That's that's like yeah. a a death nail. Yeah, I I kind of I kind of don't want to put that all on him though when it comes to being pulled from rotation because Tibbs is another freak of nature when you talk about his philosophies on both ends of the floor. Like he's that's a whole different type of culture and system that heading into this season they probably knew Kemba can't keep up with. I mean they even knew. And then at the beginning of the season, he wasn't even going to play back-to-back games. So you're talking about bringing in a player that is going to play for Coach Tibbs, who is hard-nosed, 100% effort, 24-7 throughout the game, and every game you play. It, I feel like it was, just kind of bound, it was kind of bound for this 
type of situation to happen because Kemba can't keep up at that rate due to those injuries. So I think it was just an unfortunate situation that just unfortunately came to pass where, yeah, it's time, it's, it was time for him to move out because it wasn't the right ideal situation for him, even though it could have been. But, but like Gabe said, compared to other teams, yeah, he's in a crossroads because obviously he still views himself as top-tier point guard in this league, but his skills – but this this play on both ends of the floor determined otherwise. And because of that, I feel like he may be potentially getting to that mellow role where mellow was, you know, when he was in Oklahoma city, he was viewed himself as, as one of those top guys. Didn't want to go to the bench. Didn't like the situation there. Then you go from team to team trying to figure out and show that you're still a starter, but ideally you may not be the same starter at that time for that situation and if he, and it took obviously mellow two plus years to get back to the league and, and accept the fact of whatever roles given to him he should be able to, to you know flourish in i'm yeah. not saying kemba's kevin uh kemba is you know carmelo anthony because you know there's other reports out there that of his character and things of that sort but it may get to that point where he may still view himself as a as an all-star but Coaches around the league are going to say, like Gabe said, he may be more of a six man. He may be backup, more of a backup point guard, where you can give quality minutes in ways that you know you may not be ideally comfortable with. And it's, and the question is going to be, is he going to be able to adjust to that type of situation? Yeah, and to, to Gabe's point, Carmelo got what eight nine inches on on Kimba in a in a signature <laughs> jump shot that's going to keep him in the mix, you know, for a long time. Whereas yeah. Kimba Walker. You start to lose some of that sizzle, some of that shake. Your whole game has to change, and I don't know. I'm like as as, as you phrase this question, Kyle. I'm thinking in my head, like, who, where where would he go? And I'm really struggling to come up with a team. Yeah, and that's that's what I was about to say. Like, you know, the 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 silver lining is that you only need one team to believe in you to fit with you. You know, and you know, out of thirty teams, he hasn't played for that many teams yet. So, you know, there's a chance he may have to do some more hopping around. But you know, maybe there's a situation out there that's still where he can get back in and, and thrive again. I, I just thought of one. Tell me what y'all think. Okay. What if he goes to Cleveland? You got a free, got a big front line that can cover up his mistakes. They just they lost. Um, was it uh, Garland or yeah, Sexton? No, Sexton. 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 Okay. I mean, <laughs> Cleveland has surprised, you know, people thus this far um, in terms of what they've been able to do. I know they kind of, like you said, come back down to earth a little bit, but yeah. that's, that's, they just popped into my head. Yeah, that's, that could be good. I, I wouldn't mind that move at all. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at a team like Cleveland and what they're able to do defensively with those two seven-footers and Mobley and Allen, you're right. You know, they can't cover up his weaknesses on their back end. And with the way that Darius Garland has been playing, you know, and, and stepping into his own, he's going to need a sidekick to take that pressure off of him. And that's a team that is really, really missing some solid guard play. And, and Sexton is a huge loss. It, he's only on, what, a deal for, for two years, around 20 to 20 million, Kimber, if I had it correct. So, like, it wouldn't be a bad move for Cleveland to take a, a chance. I just – I don't see it as a long-term fit, but if they want to get a playoff spot and depending on where they're in the middle of the season, that wouldn't be a bad move for them to take because Darius Garland has a hefty load that he's carrying right now, and, and albeit he's doing a great – that it, it's not easy. 
it's not easy. And at some yeah. point, you know, and they, they've already had their struggles in spite of Garland's success. So I, I could see that move being like a nice short-term stopper stay for Kimba. Yeah. yeah you, got a, you got a team that could use some veteran, you know, a veteran guard play, and you got a player who could use a, a platform where he can, you know, reestablish himself. So yeah. that's that's some good thinking there, Drew, definitely. It just would he would he be willing to go to Cleveland? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, maybe he, he might think of Cleveland like uh, uh like Joe Kim thinks of Cleveland. So I don't know. <laughs> he don't have um, a choice, in my opinion. At this at this stage true, of his career, you, it, you don't. It could be hard for a player to come to that come yeah. to that way of thinking, though, Gabe. Like, he'll, 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 call yeah, he'll call LeBron. He'll call LeBron. He'll call him. Yeah. <laughs> well. You know, uh, you know, let's move over to the Bulls uh, part of the show. And, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, you know, Kemba and the team, of course, that he's been most associated with as a pro has been Charlotte. Uh, Charlotte just comes into town yesterday and, uh, you know, took a loss, you know, pretty entertaining game overall uh, with the Bulls. Uh, a lot of offense in the game, which, you know, could be to be expected. Uh, you know, there was the it was the big baller event, uh, the you know the ball brothers, the uh, playing each other, you know, Melo and uh, and then Lonzo, and uh, you know both guys, you know both guys got off in, in various in their various ways, but uh, you know Lonzo gets the the bragging rights so in this game so far, I think uh, Lavar is coming back to life, you know, got the <laughs> putting on events in the city and. You know, coming through with the with the shoes and hat, saying "I told you so" and everything. You know, he, I, I'm I'm wondering. You know, I, me and Drew spoke about this a little bit yesterday on my show, on my Monday show. It was like, uh, you know, he may be starting to come back to life, and I wonder if if he's if we're gonna see him a lot more in Chicago and uh, hear him a lot more as well. So, but uh, you know, you guys got any thoughts on that game yesterday? I think uh, you no know, Cleveland. Uh, excuse me, uh, Charlotte. Uh, another team that is looking like it's it improved itself quite a bit in the in the off season and is uh, ready for a playoff push. Uh, they they were up there, you know, record wise, right with the Bulls coming to the game thirteen and nine to the Bulls thirteen and eight. So a little bit more separation. The Bulls get to uh, you know exert for themselves against another playoff contender with that win. Uh, I think I guess the big story in the game for the Bulls has to be uh, Nikola Vucevic uh, having his best game of the year and then seeing for the first time with this unit just what ideally he could be in in this situation. So, uh, you know, you guys got any thoughts? Like I said, uh, you know, got any thoughts in general about the game yesterday? I think I think that's it, Kyle. It's it's, it's Vucevic. It's him exploding out of the gate after having maybe two games so far this season where he's looked himself because, you know, all, all the questions about the half-court offense, I think that while they may not completely go away, you're not going to worry as much about it if he's playing up to the capabilities that we know he can play to um, in terms of shooting. It got to the point where, you know, we were – the Bulls were counting on Lonzo Ball to be the, the third scorer, and that's not really – a role that is meant for him right now. It's kind of almost like whatever you get from him offensively is almost like icing on the cake. 
you you can almost pencil in Levine and, and DeRozan for 25, 26, 27, 28. You got to be able to do the same with Vucevic, maybe 17 to 21 a game. Um, and then everything else, everybody else, Caruso, um, Kobe White, the sumo, they kind of fall in line and get what they're going to give you. But um, the potential for this team right now looks like it's going to rest on Vucevic and how well he can shoot and how consistent he can be um, as a pick and pop uh, partner with Levine and DeRozan and Ball. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway. I feel like that's, that's, that's got to be everybody's biggest takeaway from that game. Um, not to mention Levine playing under the weather. I think that just goes more into the fact of, uh, you know, how, how hard that guy wants to compete and how much he wants to win. Um, we saw that, or we're, we're seeing that this season with the wrist injury or the thumb injury and him playing through that and, and doing everything he can to be on the court to help his team. So um, the win was great. I hated to that they kind of let Charlotte get back in that game. Um, but it's a way, team. They got a lot of pop on that team, man. That, they do. Uh, they, it, like you said, it was very entertaining to watch. One thing I do want to mention that I had never uh, – maybe maybe y'all have – I've heard of pulling the chair in the post. But Lonzo Ball did that. This, I don't remember who it was. Did that mm-hmm. to somebody on a fast break that was trying to Euro step him. And that was crazy. I've never seen anybody do that before. Maybe I'm just getting old and like mon- mundane things excite me, but that was that was crazy. Like the, the the timing and the athleticism you gotta have to pull that off, that was impressive. It really was. I don't yeah, know if anybody else knew that play. <laughs> Breakthrough defensive maneuvers, eh? <laughs> it don't happen often. I've seen it a couple of times with some guys okay. where they're trying to do stuff like that on a fast. Fast break, but it don't happen often. Yeah. But I you drew on Vucevic, man. If they could get that type of production from him every single night, um, that's a team that can go on a deep playoff run. I don't think a lot of people understand just how important your third option in the NBA is. To me, that's that's the option that makes or breaks your team, no matter you know who that guy is on the respective contender. And what Vucevic was able to do last night, going six for six for three putting up 30 points. You know, I was talking with guys after the Miami loss about how he has to step up. You know, it's one thing to um, not be as strong defensively, but he's fortunate to have, you know, that help that he has, you know, besides him. But when you're not coming with it and you're not even able to put up between 18 or 19 a game with 10 boards, because that's what they're going to need from him consistently. You know, the number you hit on, Drew, that's like 17 or 21 from your third option. That Yeah, they, they need that. Um, because you know Levine and DeRozan are going to bring it. Um, Zoe is a guy who, while he's capable of doing that, he wants to lead the offense and get guys involved. And he took a lot of pressure off of guys last night. And like I said, they, they just need that to be consistent. If they can, if they can get that Vucevic consistently, then this team even even more potent to make a deeper run. Yep, I fully agree with all of that. Uh, I, I don't know if Vucevic called Chris Bosh or what, but, you know, <laughs> he came out firing like Chris Bosh did uh, when he finally got comfortable in that third-roll option in Miami, uh, becoming that pick-and-pop three-point guy. Um, was, I'm, so I'm glad that Vucevic was able to come back with that. But I think aside from everything you guys said, LeVar may actually have a point in this. He might. <laughs> You talking about getting the boys together? <laughs> all of them but one. I mean, I would love all of them but one, right? <laughs> he, he actually might have a point with this. And it's not mellow. It's Jello. 
And the reason why oh. is because Jello can shoot when <laughs> the Bulls have struggled horrifically in the zone throughout these mm -hmm. past couple of games. That's why they lost to Miami, and that's part of why Charlotte came back. They struggled in the zone, and when both when those away teams mm -hmm. were in the zone, they could not score or shoot the basketball. If you have someone on the team that can let that thing fly and make it on a consistent basis, that's what helps break the zone aside from and they and they have you know a couple shooters, if, especially if Kobe White can fully comes around, makes his jump shots, things of that sort. And I know obviously in the zone, you're supposed to break it through the middle, but you also got to be able to shoot it too. That's how you bring people out of the paint. Jello can actually shoot the ball. Yep. He may yeah. not he may not be everything you want. Uh, from a flashy guy like that, but Jello could actually shoot the ball. So mm -hmm. I don't know. He could be a cheap option if you for to hit a couple threes to get people at least to stop playing zone almost every possession in the third or fourth quarter. Because <laughs> I mean, outside of that, that's what that's going to be the Bulls' Achilles' heel every time if if that doesn't get addressed. Let's start. Let's start the Jello to shy campaign. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you can never have too many too many shooters, but as long as the Rosen is still killing it in mid-range, teams are not going to stop playing that zone. They, they, I think they're doing that specifically to keep him out of that area, and even more so than knocking down three-point shots is who's making the decisions when they catch it in the middle. And I think our best two decision-makers or, or the best two players to be in that spot are Alex Caruso and Vucevic, and I think they should even try the Rosen in that spot because you're putting him right in his wheelhouse um, we've seen the type of facilitator he can be in, in San Antonio. He's not doing that as much here because he's got more help around him. But I, I really would like to see Donovan put him in the middle of that zone and see what, what can happen because I feel like it's not going to be any worse than what we've seen. Yeah, I agree with and that. That's they the type, of, that's the type of thing. But the – Yeah, they got to they gotta put their they guys in the middle of their zone that's capable of making plays. And, and and know how to pass out of double teams and so forth like that. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing Leangelo, but this is a hell of a position to put a young kid in when you're trying to go make a playoff run. Because when you get those shots and you're open, you have to hit them. Um, I, I do believe that the Bulls will go out and get a shooter, but it more than likely be a veteran player or a veteran wing. You know, mm -hmm. I think they got a preview of a guy that they need. Now, I keep saying it. Um, because I can just tell by watching him on a nightly basis, he doesn't really want to be there. And he has chemistry with guys on this team like Alice Caruso and such. That's Daniel House in Houston. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that's man, a guy yeah. who they need to go out and go get. Yeah. Plays defense. Hey, you, you, you have mentioned him. That'd be interesting. Yeah. But, I, hey, let's let's go Jello, man. I, that, that's <laughs> Yellow to the goal, man. We got to make it rhyme. That's a good shit. <laughs> Let's go, Jello. But say you know, Levi is about that, though, man. He, Levi wants oh, to get sure. them kids. To, he wants to get them boys together, and just have it centered. And he, you know, he he. I, I'm sure he'd do it anywhere, but to have it centered in Chicago. The the ball uh, dynasty that would be a that would be a good move I think uh, on his part but we'll see we'll see how it goes man like, you know but uh yeah uh I'm saying any, any other thoughts on the Bulls right now like say they got uh, the Knicks coming up on Thursday and uh I believe uh we like said uh, Brooklyn is on the weekend to another contest with Brooklyn mm -hmm. Drew right so. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, a couple a couple of potential challenges. Okay, again, we're seeing both of those teams again today. But uh, you know, I I, I was I kind of jinxed them. I guess I was I said last week, man. You know, uh, no no reason they should have a a, a, a multi game loser streak before the first half of the season that they go and lose that game to Houston. But you know, they, you know they're gonna have like I said they're gonna have their moments. But uh, you know. They're still playing well, and, you know, I think this is going to be another week where we'll see them, in particular against competitive teams in the East, where we'll get to measure up again and see, uh, you know, uh, what what they can do. But, you know, like I said, with the Vucevic emergence, reemergence, that's, you know, a great uh, a great uh, thing to see there. And, you know, if, if he can get into – if he could be in the middle of that, of that offense – setting screens, making passes and hitting Jays, you know, I say that's that's what they that's what the Bulls want. Yeah, I, I just want to add this um you know, 22 games in with 14 wins, I think we all, you know, anybody Bulls observers, anybody is is uh happy with where they are. Yeah. And the potential is for them to do even more, do even better is there as well. Um with the offense still not quite clicking the way that we all thought it would before the season started and Vucevic um, still not having shown the consistency yet that we think he will. Most of us at least think he will. And that I think should give this front office all the impetus it needs to try to make a move, which I think, man, Harrison Barnes, if they are somehow able to get that dude in here to play the four, to be their starting four, I've heard this floated around a little bit um, since the season started. If they're able to get that dude, that changes a lot of things for this team. I feel like Harrison Barnes is playing right now what they hope Patrick Williams turns into. And I'm not necessarily down on Patrick Williams, but if you can flip him and get Harrison Barnes – to go all in the way that um, this front office has already shown that they want to do, I I think you got to go for that. So that'll be something to keep track of. I don't know if um, what was floated out there was Patrick Williams and Derrick Jones's uh, expiring contract. I don't know if that'll be enough for the Kings, but if it is, look out, man. The Kings are definitely a team that if you you were to hope that a team would have a fire sale – I say, if you if you would have hoped that a team would, in the league would have a fire sale, that's it's probably the Kings because they got some talent on that team. They just don't know what the hell to do with any of it. So you might as well just break bread with them and, and, and disperse them across the league. You know, they've been fire selling since what? I don't know how long. See where well, maybe. Boogie, like they've been, they've been, they've been fire selling since there. Like, well, I mean, yeah, they they've let they. All their key players, they seem to let go over time, but they need to just do it all at once. Like just, even the coach with uh, with Jaeger, like man, yeah, man. this is mismanagement, man. Jaeger now while yeah. he's gone, so mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know They're what probably, probably the most mismanaged team. Yeah, probably the most mismanaged team you got to say in the league right now, unfortunately. But uh, a couple teams that aren't mismanaged are going to be going off uh, in a in a contest tonight, a real unique battle, and that it's the first time that two teams with eight fifty winning percentages 
and uh, and each with uh, winning streaks of at least seven games are going against each other in the league, and that's uh, oh. the uh, the Suns and the Warriors, eighteen and two and seventeen and three, going at it tonight, man. A, a big time matchup, uh, you know. We, we go, you know, Paul against uh, Steph. You know, uh, you, you got you got the whole thing about you no. Know, a lot of people saying Steph against uh, Booker in, in in a lot of way, but you know, you got you, you just got two teams that are, are really at least in their play right now just seem to be ahead above everybody else in the league, and they're going to be uh, the cla- battling out for the class of the of the West right now. You know what? Do you what? Do you guys thoughts on this matchup? And uh, you know what do you what do you think you're gonna see? What do you think we're gonna see tonight? And uh, do you think you know how important do you think this game is at this? You know, it's still very early in the season, of course, but you know these are two teams that are you know sort of they they're gonna size each other up and see you know just you know what uh, they're made what they're in for as the the season goes on and the possible. Uh, playoffs shape up. I think this is a, um, a this is the great measure game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, measure measure stick game, definitely game. Yeah, that's 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 a good way of saying it. I was that didn't definitely come to my mind, but you know that's why we have four people on here. Um, <laughs> but you know the game's right. It's a measure stick game, especially for Phoenix because. Um, Phoenix hasn't as much as we, you know, love and give credit to Phoenix for, um, and Chris Paul for the work they do over there. They ain't never played a team like Golden State. They never played a healthy Steph Curry with a healthy Draymond Green, and a roster as deep as as you know. This is the first year I think it's, the roster has actually been as deep as maybe has been championship runs that they had. Um, this is a completely different Golden State Warriors team that has championship potential, and that's not and that's without Clay Thompson or James Wiseman. <laughs> so th- this is a whole different beast that we're talking about right now. Currently, that the Suns are playing, and they never played that before. So what I'm really going to be paying attention to is, of course, you're going to have this, the highlights and the and the show of Steph Curry and Devin Booker and those guys. They're going to show up and play, but I want to see. Um, the third options go at it. So when you talk about, you know, currently right now, Golden State with Steph Curry, and if you want to consider Draymond as a star, as one of those stars, you got Draymond. But I want to see what Jordan Poole does, and I want to see what Mikael Bridges do. Because uh, Mikael Bridges, to me, is one of the only two way is is one of the two way players that can really pay, basically keep up with Steph from a defensive perspective. And I want to see how he handles all the running around that Steph does all all game long. I'm pretty sure he'll have that assignment. And I want to see how he handles that defensive component as well as having enough energy um, and mental capacity to knock down big shots when needed. Uh, I also, but I also want to see how Jordan Poole plays because Jordan Poole has emerged as one of the top three scorers of this team. And you know, you're playing against. A, de- a very sound defensive-minded Phoenix Suns roster, um, who's won, like I said, who's won 16 going on 17 straight. So I, that, I'm looking at those two players, not the stars per se, but I'm looking at the other players that the X factors per se that could, that are really key for these type of teams, especially Mikel Bridges, considering he just signed this this next contract. 
Um, I want to see how he holds up playing against someone like Steph Curry, who is a whole other beast offensively to guard. Gabe, is there, is there any way that you could see Steph possibly be slowed down? We, we, we ain't talking about any type of bad game. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what a bad game for him looks like right now. But, you know, is there any way that he could be slowed down to the point where Phoenix – could get an edge in this game decisively. I don't know if you can slow him down. What you have to do is you have to send multiple bodies onto him to make him work. Um, that's how Bridges, Crowder, um, you know, Cam Johnson, they're going to have to send multiple wings in his direction, guys with longer size and length, and to try and combat, you know, his nightly experience to getting hot from I think that's the guys of Steph's caliber down. Um, he'll still get his 20 to make sure that he's working and that he's earning it, you know, every minute that just that you see two of the game best offenses. I think in right Monty Williams about our father offensive tacticians that we have in this league right now with the way they're you know using guys and putting guys in positions to succeed, you know. Phoenix offense basis to me right now the hottest offense in the league. You know they move the ball around. Guys are very comfortable and accepting their role. Um and and trying to overdo things. You know Chris Paul's the maestro and he's handling things. I expect to see him um hunting Stephen Curry and, and, and picking roll set. Often, and you know, from the game to the end, I, I, I see a lot of that as well. Even though Steph proved as a defender and has really gave a lot of effort to that end, and I think now, now he's really at the talk down about his defense being as like it once was, you know, the last five or six years. So. I, I, it's really no way you slow step down, but you just don't work. Mm-hmm. And Drew, what's, what what are your thoughts on tonight's game, man? I, I think it's going to be electric, man. It's almost like it. How can it not be with these two teams matching up? Um, I think if the Suns win, that'll be a, a record for their franchise. They get this seventeenth win tonight. But um, I'm going the opposite of Josh. Actually, I'm looking at this as a measure stick game. Uh, for the Warriors, um, because the Suns, okay. they've got the, the most recent success in terms of um, getting to the the finals last year. Um, both of these teams have gotten a little fat off of some of some bad teams and or good teams who were who were without their best players. But the Warriors have also been at home a lot of this first quarter of the season, so. If they can go into Phoenix and, and steal a win, that'll be huge. And these two teams play again, I think, on Friday. 
Um, so I'm just looking forward to the game, man. Um, it's like an old to modern basketball tonight. <laughs> a lot of switchability, a lot of shooting. Um, heads up defenders and Draymond Green, uh, Crowder, you know, it may it may just come down to who's able to defend the pick and rolls better uh, and throw off the timing more on each side of the ball. Do y'all do y'all see any you know bringing it to an individual level any sort of pressure on a guy like uh, Booker tonight, like to show to show himself in a game that is of this importance that everybody in the league is going to be looking at to sort of measure himself up to, uh, to Steph or any, or the, to, to possibly play the best game on the court tonight. I would, I would, I would say no to that just because he just came off the finals and he, he got to, he got his, his moment in the sun, so to speak in front of the a national audience who saw what he can do on the grandest stage against some of the best defenders in the game and Drew Holiday and um, Giannis at times and Drew and uh, Chris Middleton. So I think, I think people know what he's about to the point where if he has a not so good game on national TV, it's not like uh, people are second guessing his skills or his, um, his uh, abilities. I think there is a possibility though, that if he doesn't show up too much tonight that that could be overplayed. Mm. So that's, that's the, that's the tough part about being in the position that he's in right now where you're emerging, but you still haven't really held the league captive yet. Like people, like say people, you say, like you say, Drew, people know who he is, but he hasn't come through in the way sort of akin to what Giannis was in the position that he was in prior to last year. So, you know, I'm definitely interested to see how he how Booker plays tonight and how people respond to it. That's a good point. I mean, is he I'm I'm guessing he's uh going to be matched up against against Wiggins, although it's going to be aggressive. I, mm, um expect yeah. him to come out early. Be aggressive come out early, yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun one, man. This this is like I said, a rare matchup that we get in the in the regular season at this you know pre Christmas uh, part of this regular season. You know, a, a, a matchup with this many storylines and this much uh, you know uh, weight to it. You know, so yeah, definitely definitely uh, that, that I guess that sh- that'll be coming up after the Knicks and uh, Nets on TNT. But um, as I said before, we uh, get towards the end of the show. I want to do a little college talk as well before we wrap up, but I, I threw out a little something at y'all because of, uh, you know, I, actually, let me, let me go over the West, uh, the West standings for uh, quite quick. Cause we talk about these two teams that, you know, between them have five losses, both with, uh, you know, a 50 winning percentage warriors are at nine. Uh, 900 winning percentage with their 18 to two record. The only other team in the West that has less than nine, uh, went nine, uh, has less than nine losses right now is the Mavericks, who are 10 and nine. Everybody else has at least 10 losses, and that sort of goes into what Drew mentioned, uh, uh just a minute ago about 
you know, the Warriors and Suns may be fattening up on some weaker competition. You know, uh, when you go past that 10 mark in, in the West and, you know, that's where, you know, the playing ends, the playing teams in, you got the Trailblazers at 10 and 11 right there at 10. Then after that, you got the Kings, Spurs, Thunder, Pelicans, and uh, Rockets at the last five spots, and they all have at least 13 losses. You know, Rockets have the worst record in, in four and 16. So, you know, it's, it's some there's some bad things going on at the bottom of the West. And um, But, you know, it, it, you know, when you look at these teams who are not doing so well, you know, you can still find some things that maybe are of interest if you, you know, you know, for, thank God for people who really look at the league, you know, uh, at all 30 teams and, 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 and really dissect the league night in and night out. Cause you know, I saw, I, I came across a video today uh, from one of the guys at the ringer and he, it was a very interesting video about the weirdos of OKC. They named it. And they, uh, it was, it was a, it was a video sort of broke down a, most pretty much the entire roster, but it started with an in-depth look at their rookie, Josh uh, Gaddy. I'm going to think I'm saying that right. And uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, who you know, has been in the league for a few years now. And it was, it was like I said, just a, I recommend the video. You know, it says it's on the ringer on YouTube. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting just the way that the guy broke down, the, uh, the writer broke down how – unique their games are and as individuals and you know their their faults and their pluses and you know how that can affect the way that this team is being built how how you can glean what uh OKC being built the way that they're being built right now and you know it's interesting I say it's just interesting when you follow the league and you know you let some things pass you by because these teams aren't very relevant right now and but you know you know every now and then you, you know you want to do a little dive into uh teams like that and see what direction they're going and it's you know it's pretty interesting what is going on right now in uh OKC cuz you you got a, some talented guys down there but they're still a long way from uh really putting anything together that would have them be uh anything like a contender in the league right now so but you know, to that to that degree, I was I was I wanted to throw it out to y'all. Like, is there anything along those lines in the league that you guys are like, you know, you're sort of paying attention to on your own, or that you may have stumbled across, or or it's just something that uh, like quirky or uh, or singularly interesting to you that you know you don't necessarily see everybody else talking about, or you don't even talk about with the people who you talk about the league with, you know, it's just something that you sort of held to yourself. Like I, I mentioned as a best kept secret, you know, that, you know, I was just wondering if you guys had anything like that. So I'm actually, it happened because of the two games from Memphis. Oh no, you go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, Gabe. I'm sorry. They got a little delay with Gabe. 
Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna say Desmond Bain from from okay. Bain. He's increased scoring average up to six and a half points per game. Um, guy who is like of an Eric Gordon mode, six five, like two ten, can really shoot shoot the bat and just fell draft last year. Because in my opinion, he didn't have a tournament run with TCU. Was the top 25 team, you know, going into the pandemic. I just really like his game. This is a guy of like 20 or more. I want to say several times in the month of November uh, next to John Morant. You always hit him, but you haven't heard a single national column that really showed Desmond Bain a lot of love. He possesses a stout defender, a guy that can shoot the lights out. Um, I would not be surprised within the next three to five years if there's an all-star in this league. Like, I believe in lot. And uh, he's a hard-working guy. I think, you know, the, the youth movement in Houston, but Desmond Bain is really a name that people need to know about. And this is just his second year, right? I think so. I think so, Kyle. Yeah, I, think, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. On, on my end. Um, yeah. You say, you say, yeah. <laughs> Gabe. Gabe. Hey, go, ahead, go ahead, Drew. Gabe answers make mine feel boring, but uh, <laughs> it, it's for me. It's the Sixers on a certain level. Um, Out of t- I, I know they're eleven and ten. Okay. Okay. I know they're eleven yeah. and ten right now, but they're eight and three with Embiid. Um, obviously, they got this whole cloud with Ben Simmons hanging over the team's head, the franchise head. We're trying to figure out what it is they're going to do. But, um, you know, like I said, the 8-3 and three with Embiid um, had some guys in and out of the lineup. Tobias Harris was in and out of the lineup. They've been counting on um, Paul Reed. Uh, I believe the, the Paul product, right? Yeah, Paul Reed, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, playing some some good minutes for, those, for for that team, but they've also, in addition to Embiid, they've got like six other guys averaging double figures, uh, five or six, and then Cordmise uh, is like at nine point seven, so he's right there too. But if we're zooming in, or if I'm zooming in even more, a guy that I'm kind of paying attention to is the other Curry, Seth Curry. He's averaging mm-hmm. um, career high sixteen point two points, career high in field goal attempts, field goal percentage. Minutes, three-point attempts, free throw attempts, free throw percentage, rebounds. Like, he's really kind of coming into his own and and making a name for himself, which he kind of did. He, he was starting to do that um, back in his Portland days, and he's just kind of taking it to a whole nother level now, given more opportunity. So that's a team, and that's a guy in particular that I'm kind of keeping a little bit of an eye out for and um, kind of also seeing how – their success might play into what Moore does in terms of the Ben Simmons situation. That's that's a good answer, man. I, you know, I, I think you know, especially when you look at the fact that that team, like you said, is, so, is they're so good with you know they're they're of course their franchise guy, but when you take him off, you know they just haven't had the success that they want. They're they're only eleven and ten overall. Yeah, and you know you, see, you mentioned them being eight and three with Embiid, 
And um, I say looking at the individuals, breaking it down to the individuals, you know, uh, with, you know, Seth Curry probably is going to go down as like a real interesting test case at, at when when we go, when he retires and we look back on his career because he is a really, he is a really good player, yeah. but he just had to be the brother of one of the greatest <laughs> players of all time. Yeah, this, it's, it's, like a, it's like a more extreme example of what we had. I'm, I'm trying to think of how many instances there are, but I, I think the one that sticks out to me is, is you know, because I came of age with they when they were in the league was Harvey and Horace Grant. Mm-hmm. So you had an all-star level player in Horace and, you know, a slightly a lesser brother in Harvey, you know, but they both were in the league, but – no, this is a much more extreme example of that, you know, where you have, but but Seth is much better in relation to Harvey than <laughs> even Steph is to Horace. Like, yeah. it, it, it's kind of crazy. But another guy I would look, I would mention on that Sixers team is Tyrese Max, and you know, he's he's in a he's in this position where he has the the chance to really make people forget about. In that town, at least, forget about Ben Simmons, and uh, you know, to a degree, I guess. You know, I look. I'm looking at their last box score. They beat the Magic uh, yesterday, and uh, he had nine points, nine assists, and eight rebounds. But he's just a really talented player, and I like the I like the idea of him just really settling into that starting, uh, you know, playmaker, you know, one whatever position a uh, league guard position for them and you know you know whatever Ben does you know they Philly I think is in a good position with him going forward and um as I look at that box score too another guy who just sort of jumps out at me at the at for the time being right now is Franz Wagner of the Magic and uh that sort of started with you know getting to see him play against the Bulls last week. And he was talked up quite a bit during that broadcast, if you remember. Uh, you know, Stacey King uh, talked him up quite a bit. And he, you know, Franz Wagner looked pretty good in that game. And I'm looking at the, the the uh, again, the box score from the Philly game. He had 27 points leading the Magic in that game. So, you know, that's a guy who uh, I think is going to be worthy of some attention going forward, at least on my you know, individual. I'm going to probably pay some attention to him. The Magic are just – they sort of – they'll just, uh, you know, cycle in young talent. And, uh, you know, they're in the, they're in, in often in a perpetual rebuilding thing, much like uh, Sacramento we were talking about. But, you know, they, got, they, get, they get guys down there. It's a matter of uh, – you know, can they keep them and let them congeal into something that can make them win again as a as a franchise, or or is he just going to be trade fodder in a few years, like like Vucevic or something? You know, you know we'll see. But uh, he he, de- he definitely looks like a a, a guy who uh, is ready for the league and was uh, is making the most of his. You know, a guy who just came into the league is ready to ready to play ball. Yeah, I got a couple a couple of guys for me that really stand out um, are Kevin Porter Jr. from the Rockets. Um, mm. He, I because and, and the other one is Cameron Thomas of the Nets. 
Because these oh. these two guys can fill it up the bet. The, they can fill it up in any way you want. Um, looking at Kevin Porter's game, um, it really reminds me of. It's a stretch to say, but it it, it does give me, um, like a younger, uh, like a younger. T-Mac-ish type of game just because of how he's able to create for his own shot and this off the dribble in the way that he can. And the fact that he has a stroke that can be consistent enough to where he can get you 25, 30 points any given night on a consistent basis if he really wants to. Um, that's which is why – and for him to be drafted so low in the draft, I think it was a late first-round pick um, when he was originally projected to be top three or top five. For him to go to Cleveland to do what he was doing in Cleveland before and then get shipped off to Houston. Um, yeah, Kevin Porter's skill set for me is just uh, ideal and a, and a great talent to watch. It's Obviously, it's, he's in Houston, but you put that type of talent with a contender, I, you, you don't know what you can do. You, you don't know what you know where, where that can go. And I actually – another reason why I picked Cameron Thomas is because of what he's able to show with the Brooklyn Nets. He can be a player that can step up, especially with Kyrie Irving being out. He may not, you know, he may not put up the type of numbers that Kyrie did, um, but the fact that he can score the ball at will and the fact that he can do it at an efficient rate. I mean, he just came from the G League for tonight's game and dropped 40. And he's actually doing pretty good from watching this game now uh, with the Nets and, uh, and the Knicks. He's, he's, you know, picking his spots and – scoring pretty much effortlessly within those moments. Um, so seeing his role increase potentially with the Brooklyn Nets, I think is something that I would definitely keep an eye out for, especially since they're really going to need his scoring services with Kyrie Irving and now Joe Harris being out because of his injury, because of his service. Yeah. I'm looking at a uh, – I just did a quick search on Cam Thomas and uh, New York Post got a feature up on him that just came up in the in the last hour saying that the Nets are happy with uh, his development, so uh, yeah, that uh, that's that's a good one, man. I, I'm definitely uh, I'll take a closer look too. You know, the fact that he's on a like you said with, with with Kevin Porter, like he's in a position where you want Porter to be with a competing team. So uh, you know, whatever whatever Cam does is going to be done under a microscope. Uh, you know, being in New York and being uh, on that Nets team, which uh, you know a lot of people are favoring to win the East. So, yeah, that's that's a good one. Yeah, man. I got to give a shout out to Shad Phillips on that one. Rashad, man, he he's been big on Cam Thomas, pre-draft uh, all the way up until now. And you know, Rashad is normally spot on with his analysis, man. So for him to bring that, that's how I found out about Cam. And you know, he's been right this whole time. So definitely shout out to to shot for his analysis and then putting putting the world on notice with that. Yeah, there you go. Hey, that's uh, definitely a guy. A lot of people listen to Rashad Phillips. Definitely. And uh, you know, you mentioned uh, those guys be a late picks. Can uh, was picked twenty seventh in this in this past summer's draft, and uh, Porter was yeah, it was a thirtieth pick in uh, the nineteenth draft. So uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, be interesting to see how they project upon, uh, you know, beyond their starts in the league, you know, uh, where they were picked to, you know, in the initial draft. So, all right.
But uh, you know, with that said, you know, we got a lot of players and a lot of guys who are going to be itching to get in that 22 draft, you know, uh, who are playing right now in the college level and everything. And, uh, you know, just a couple things that are interested to me, uh, you know, uh, on that on that college level. You know, tomorrow we're going to have a lot of uh, amateur talk. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff on the high school level uh, with a couple of high school coaches that I got on the, on the on, that I'm looking to have on the show. Uh, t- I'll talk more about that in a second. But uh, as far as college goes right now, uh, you know, big story is, you know, sort of uh, going off the Wild West theme that I have for this show tonight is, you know, you got two of the teams, the, the, t- the dominant team, or the, the primary teams that people are looking at for the national championship in the West as well with UCLA and Gonzaga. And they played last week as was Gonzaga and Duke. and Duke, you know, as wound up being number one in the in the top 25 time since uh, 2019, you know, which, you know, not a long time for most programs, but for them, you know, you can say it is. And this is, you know, definitely a year where they're looking to strike back in the in the national consciousness. And you know, they played a game against Gonzaga uh, on Friday, and then out did, and you know, uh, that you know pretty much rocketed them up to top spot in the, in the nation right now. And you know, you got Gonzaga and UCLA still in the top. Interestingly enough, Purdue is number two. I'm a uh, talk about them a little bit in a second as well, but you know my thought. You know the thing I threw out on the on the rundown was, you know uh, Duke. You know, do you think Duke has a heads up on Gonzaga at UCLA right now? And um, you know, I'll give this one to Gabe because I think Gabe uh, probably paid more attention to it uh, than than you know even I did. But uh, you know, I. You know, uh, Gabe, I, I, I'm glad to have you back on, man. But you know, what what are your thoughts on those those top teams in the name? Now you got pretty much those three teams I mentioned, along with the uh, the reigning national champs, uh, Baylor. You know, looking like that's that's looking that's pretty much your top five right now. You had a uh, you know Purdue being number two, uh, pretty much got there by beating Villanova, another team that is a uh, you know pretty much. You know, if you extend it to a top six, pretty much got Villanova in there right now as well. But, you know, what are your thoughts on some of these top teams right now? I think they got a little issue with the signal. In my opinion, right now, I mean, team, you go out um, in in Vegas and you put out a win against the number one Bulldogs who has winning streak. That's a big deal. And I, I'm the freshman, you know, Paulo Ben uh, Caro, as well as Trevor Kills. Who you know is a big time, um, big time defensive wing can you know rotate well the ball well. I, I do. Duke is the the, the clear cut number one team right now. 
You know, they play the top ten teams in the country, and they beat them. Uh, Gonzaga. I think should have been ranked number two, albeit they took Gonzaga over Purdue. I think UCLA. They're 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 they're, they're lagging. UCLA is lagging. Uh, uh, I, I like the returning starters that they, they have, but they got to get some athletes interior. And at some point, they're going to have to call upon Peyton Watson to step up for the big time off the wing and, and play in the starting five. You know, he is no, he has no big bench at this point, in my opinion. The kid got a long beach. They got to play him immediately. Because um, mm. I think he can make a big difference for him. But overall, I, I would go with Duke right now. I think Duke. Is the number one country. I I also like, like the big man. They have Williams, who's a good roller, and you, you know, a rim protector. He's a guy that I could see making in if he has a big time down to him at AC as well as Mark. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting, though, you, you talk about. You know, for all intents and purposes, Gonzaga probably is still the, num- the number two team in the country right now. They they had a test yesterday against some team I ain't never heard of called Tar- was it Tartleton State. Like, I don't even know what the hell that school was, man. But <laughs> they played them, you know, pretty tough last night. And uh, you know, they uh, but that probably was just a, a an outlier in regards to Gonzaga. They had a bad shooting night. Uh, and you know, tar- yeah, Tartleton State, yeah, the, gave them some run yesterday on their home court. So, you know, that no, that happens though with college kids. But you know, I'm, it's interesting that Purdue gets to slide in there and and get some time to shine, because you know, Purdue is you know Big Ten school. We you know we have a certain familiarity with them to their you know with their proximity to Chicago. Even though like West Lafayette may as well be another world in some ways like it makes me think of traveling to uh you know it's, it's not west lafayette but i i remember going to um of uh, uh what's, what's that place uh uh what's what, damn what's that school uh, valparaiso <laughs> and and uh you know going there to cover some uh when they they used to have some uh uh, some horizon tournament games out there, or, you know, and I, I went out there with the minds one time when we were covering UIC and it was like, God, it's like, why does it take so long to get out here? You know, given <laughs> where it is in, 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 in proximity to Chicago. And it just seemed like West Lafayette is the same would be in that same uh, discussion of me, but you know, but Purdue typically has, you know, like I say, some couldn't they have some, you know, Chicago kids and stuff that they, you know, Northwest Indiana kids they that they rely on. Their roster, I, nobody really I looked at their roster a little earlier. Nobody really sticks out to me as far as what they've done in, in high school and stuff. But you know, they, they got it going. You know, uh Matt Painter, you know, me and Drew, we're familiar with Matt Painter from his his history with Southern Illinois. You know, he's a good coach and he's He's made a, a quite a reputation for himself at at Purdue. You know, uh, pretty much 
following up under Gene Cady and uh, you know who was his mentor. But uh, they're number two right now. They're playing. Uh, uh, they're playing in this Big Ten ACC challenge tonight, which a lot of a lot of other teams are playing in as well. Duke for Matt, you know, is going to be starting to tip off against Ohio State in uh, momentarily, as if they haven't already. I think they might have. But uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I look at Purdue's schedule. Uh, you know, with this game tonight, they got Florida State. And then, they, you know, you got these early Big Ten games coming up. They got Iowa, who uh, is still undefeated, and Rutgers coming up in the next uh, few days, uh, next week. Then they got North Carolina State, uh, who they, they're going to play on a neutral court in Brooklyn. Then they got Butler. They're going go to go to Butler and play them in, in Indianapolis. So that's going to be a little bit of a challenge for them. I'm, I'm be interested to see if they're still ranked as high after that stretch of games. But uh, no, I guess uh, I guess that's going to be a team I have to pay a little bit more attention to. Uh, Illinois, you know, falls out of the top 25 in both uh, the, the coaches and, and AP polls. You know, they had a tough run with a couple losses recently. But, they, you know, you know they, they had a decent win against Notre Dame yesterday. But, uh, you know, they lost – you know, they like say they've lost. Uh, Loyola's still sort of uh, getting themselves going. They got the game against DePaul this week on Saturday. That's going to be an interesting game at Wintrust. Are you going to be there, Josh? No. No, sir. I would not be there. Well, actually, no, nah, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be there Sunday, but not uh, not this weekend. Uh, okay. we go. That's going to be another women's game on Sunday, right? Right. Uh, okay. Yeah, we we um, I, I I will like to go to that game. I don't know I'm, if I'm gonna be able because I'm gonna be at the. I got credentials for the uh, Chicago Elite Classic, which we're gonna be uh, help. We're gonna be previewing uh, on the show tomorrow, but uh, I'm gonna have to see if I can pull away from that a little bit and maybe get to that game at Wintrust. But you know, I definitely want to see Loyola in action at some point, as well as DePaul, and um. Uh, you know, Marquette uh, still going pretty good too. Your, your cousin them down up there in Milwaukee, man. I see they get they got some votes in the in the top twenty five polls. So uh, they got a they play Jackson State tonight. Uh, so that should be a pretty easy game for them. But they got the big uh, the rivalry game, you know, uh, with Wisconsin coming up this weekend. So yeah, definitely a lot to keep up on on that college level. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty much going to be it for us today. Uh, wrap up here this show. Uh, great running with you guys. But, uh, you know, I, I hope you guys are, uh, you know, be up for another session tomorrow. Uh, about this time, we'll have uh, Steve Parham, uh, a coach of Julian, a friend of, friend of Drew's. And, uh, Drew, you know, you know who I reached out to to give come on the show tomorrow as well? Who was that? Uh, Tony Young. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Tony Young, the, the former former star at SIU, mm-hmm. and he's coaching Fenwick now. Yeah. Uh, and and Fenwick is uh, typically in action at the Chicago Elite Classic, uh, playing their their Oak Park rival, Oak Park River Forest. That's I've watched that game a couple times at that showcase, and that's a pretty energetic. 
uh, affair. You know, they bring out their fans for those games. And, um, you know, I, I, so I'm, I, I reached out to Tony. He, see, he said he wants – he said he's down to come on. I, I got to confirm the time with him, but hopefully he'll be on the show. Uh, we know – I know Steve is going to be on, but hopefully Steve and Tony will be on the show tomorrow to help us talk about uh, high school uh, – high schools in Chicago and Chicago area and stuff and, and look ahead to this week's showcase, uh, Chicago elite classic with, you know, going to have a lot of uh, great high school talent from both this area and around the country. So uh, that's going to be tomorrow, seven o'clock. We're going to go live and uh, that'll be our second, a little, a little bonus edition of running, you know, since we didn't have a show last week, but uh, that's it for now though. Uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, hope you enjoy the rest of y'all evening. And I uh, hope you audience enjoy the rest of your evening as well. And, uh, you know, we'll uh, talk. We'll probably, uh, you know, recap a little bit of that Suns and Warriors game as well tomorrow. So uh, definitely looking forward to that as well. Uh, I hope Gabe is okay. It looks like he's a little froze. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we uh, definitely wish you the best, Gabe, man. And... Yeah, like I said, that's it for now. Back at it tomorrow. Uh, hope you can join us and enjoy the show. Yeah, All right. Th thanks, Gabe. Uh, that's it for now. In the meantime, keep bouncing, y'all. Enjoy your evening.